Titus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the Helming Power Hour. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to episode 36 of the Helming Power Hour. Just like that. Helming. Helming. I'm Rick, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime, Mr. Danny Bennett. Hello, everybody, and it's an exciting episode 36 coming up for you with a with a favorite of Rick and Mine's from way back in the day. Absolutely. You might remember 1990. 1990. It seems like so long ago. Well, it was. <laughs> oh, That's why it seems that way. Yeah. Luckily, we have the time machine so we can go back and actually visit that time and uh, get a groove on, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean, because my groove is always in 1990, which is why I don't have it now. <laughs> Still, I got a groove back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Stella needs to give it back to me because, you know, I had it and I let her borrow it. And she never gave it back. <laughs> so, yeah, man, we're excited about this Nightbreed. This was definitely on the top of our list when we started this show. But you kind of have to find the right time. And we even talked about having certain guests come on and do certain things and all these kind of things. But it just works out that now is the perfect time to do Nightbreed. So uh, we're going to kick out the jams for you. I think that was the first mention of Nightbreed there. It was a... Uh... We were talking about 1990, and then you just you just broke out with the movie. Yeah, it's Nightbreed, way, man. Way to do it. So it's Nightbreed. You got to just do it. If you're a fan, it. you're going to love this show. If you haven't even heard of the movie, this is the why you listen, because we're going to tell you the reasons why you should watch Nightbreed. It's an awesome slice of movie history. It's a monster movie where the monsters are not necessarily what you think they are. That's right. They are who you think they are. I think I think I'm the, who you think I am. <laughs> they were the inspiration for the the Planters Peanut guy. I know that. Yeah, me and, and, uh, <laughs> and the McDonald's Mac Tonight guy too. Mac Tonight, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's in there. Mac there you tonight. go, folks. Yeah. There is a cameo appearance by the Mac Tonight guy You're from the uh, 1990s yeah. McDonald's, uh, you know, McArch Deluxe revamp attempt. Yeah. Hey, go on to McDonald's. It's a great place to have dinner with your lady. Oh, and what's sad is the Mac Deluxe was almost more successful than Nightbreed was when it came out. <laughs> man, man, the, the McArch Deluxe was a... McArch Deluxe. 
Yeah, it was the McArch. Well, because it was the arches. You know, they were like, "Man, how can we make this more sophisticated?" And that wasn't the way, y'all. Hey, since we got the arches, let's just make the moon sing at a grand piano. How about that? Yeah, and since you're going to McDonald's at night for for dinner, how about we put some video game in the corner? That'll make it more adult. Yeah, I, I kind of like that idea. It'll actually. be right next to the. Well, yeah, they didn't do that. Oh. That's why it failed. <laughs> if you listen to McDonald's, that's where you messed up, buddy. Jula, you've failed. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back right after this. What button do I push here? I, I can't see you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after this. The Hailming Power Hour is brought to you by Palpatine Tasers. Defend yourself with power. Unlimited power. And loyal subjects of Mongo like you. Hail Ming! And now, story time with Marlon Brando. <laughs> Gather round, kids. Form a semicircle. That's a quadrant. A semicircle. Today we're going to listen to a good story called. Evil Bong by Jack Reacher. Noted college student moves in with law school dropout and former baseball player, you named it, Brett Favre. And they see an ad for a large bong in which the previous owner claims it was possessed, quotation marks. Later that night, the nerd wakes up in a strip club. It's called Foxy's. He's introduced by one of the strippers who has skull hands on the cups of a bra. When he comes near the bra, the skull hand starts biting him in the neck and he bleeds to death. Oh, oh, my neck, oh no! See the kid's picture right there? You pull it right there, the blood starts out. Ah, oh, it's pretty good. Anyways, later on, the bong starts speaking to a boy and tempts him to take a hit out of her. After doing so, he ends being, here he sees a gingerbread man and his grandfather, Billy Bob Horton. Eventually, a stripper gives him a lap dance, not maybe 25 seconds or so, and he's killed. Another boy is then treated by a stripper who uses her lip cup bra to buy off his genitals. A man named Jimbo, really Jimbo? Okay, alright, randomly enters the room and proclaims that the bong is his. He also explains that the bong, named Ebi, has a voodoo curse on it and that once you take enough hits from it, it brings you to the bong world and kills you. Jimbo tries destroying the bong with a hammer. Chainsaw, a bomb, a keychain, a gun. Meanwhile, in the bong world, Evie reveals his motives to control the world by turning everyone into stoners by turning the air into pot smoke and the oceans into bong water. Now that's a big twist, folks. That's, yes, yes, Billy, that is the climax of the story. Jimbo, who had just got sucked 
into the bomb world, tells them to go ahead and, and escape while he takes care of Ebi. Jimbo comes up to Ebi and shows a time bomb now strapped to his chest. Jimbo activates the bomb and blows up Ebi. Apparently, Jimbo himself kind of backfired, folks. And that's how Jimbo became the king of the Bong world. Our kids, we learn a valuable lesson about how Bongs are just no good for us. But Big Mac is just right for us. Alright, kids, let's go to bed. And we're back. That's right, indeed, we are back to talk about one of our favorite movies, as we said earlier, Nightbreed! Well, how could we talk about Nightbreed without bringing up Clive Barker? That's right. Clive was hitting high notes at this point, had released, you know, the Hellraiser movies at the point one and two, which had done very well, and uh, he decided to go for the gusto. <laughs> That's yeah, the, a term the, you don't uh, hear anymore. <laughs> no, there's a reason for that, too. Like, like telling someone you like the cut of their jib, you just don't say it. But, yeah, so, so the... Uh, the studio got to Clive Barker and they said, you know what? You did so well with these monster movies. We're just going to give you carte blanche. You, know, you make what you want to make. And he decided to make uh, a short story of his called Cabal right. into a movie that we know as Nightbreed. Yeah. And uh, that's where this whole Rocky story begins. And where is it going to end? Well, we're going to tell you. That's right. So... Without further ado, before we can go back and actually go into Time Machine and go back to this fabulous movie, we've got to tell you about our sponsors, because that's what pays our bills, and that's what gets us into the Time Machine, because, you know, there's repairs that need to be done. We lost the uh, the uh, Time Machine chicken a couple of shows back, so that's kind of put a hurt on us, so yeah. we're raising money for a new Time Machine chicken. The Time Machine chicken is intrinsic to space and time travel. Yep. That's where most people they might get lost. Just like McDonald's, they they didn't understand that you know it's all about the chicken. It's all about the chicken. McArch Deluxe, that's great. Put some mushrooms on a crappy burger, but it's not chicken. So speaking of which, sponsors for the show, our first one is Gary's Glasses, where uh, their motto is is you can eat with false teeth, but you can't see with a glass eye. Oh, <laughs> nice. And uh, we're also brought to you by the network. TV show starring Vanessa Hudgens, Powerless. Helming. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and don't forget to visit <laughs> Shannon Story's Martial Arts, because their motto is, we're building better kids one punch at a time. Helming. <laughs> All right, man, so let's do this. Let's jump into the time machine. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. I'm going to strap in here, and you know, I learned my lesson about hanging my arm out the window. Here it goes. Okay. Everybody, here we go. That's it. There's some power in this engine. Yeah. Whoop, a little shaky there. Turbulence. I think it was uh, 86 we ran through there for a second. There's something on the wing of this plane. <laughs> we don't have wings. <laughs> <laughs> There's a wing on the wing of this plane. There's a wing on the wing of this plane. Oh, the chicken. Look at it. 1990, man. Man, 1990 is exactly how I left it. Okay, let me ask a question. Why did we come back to 1990 to talk about this movie? <laughs> 
Well, you know, because that's when it was made, and you have to go back to the source. And what's the source? Well, it's 1990, of course. <laughs> Clive Barker had an earworm or a or a brainchild or something, and he said, it's time for me to make Cabal into a movie and call it Nightbreed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, by the way, we're just going to get uh, David Cronenberg to be in it, because he's an actor, right? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So yeah, man, there's a there's a whole ball yeah. of madness that goes in this movie. But before we can talk about that, we got to have a synopsis to let us know what the real story is. And you people may remember from the classic cartoon, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Here, in, you know, you got Boris and Natasha. Here's Natasha. Hello, minions. It is Natasha of the Boris and Natasha cartoon show. I am bringing you the story of the movie Nightbreed. It is comical story of cattle farmer in a sun-baked county in this small state of Texas. <laughs> the cows are being too hot and dry in the sweltering sun to a... Uh, do whatever cows do, and the herd is dwindling. So farmer come up with a plan to bring cows out every night for having a night breed. You're getting it? You should get it, darling. Oh. The night breed. <laughs> well, it's, breed. It's, it was the uh, Boris and Natasha cartoon. Man, they're t- taking credit for the show, looks like. Well, you know, you rewrite history. That's that's how you make things happen now. You just time machine. You just deny <laughs> time machine. Make your own history. Go back to 1990. Right. Talk to Clive Barker. <laughs> well, you can talk to Clive Barker now, though. It sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't he, know if you talk busy. back, but you know, you'd be like, "Hey, Clive," and he'd be like, "Keep those people away from me." So just like the last time we saw him. Just, just like last time. All right. Came, so when he came over for crumpets, he just got upset and left. You know. Well, maybe it's because they weren't crumpets, man. You just got some <laughs> potato chips. You said they were crumpets. Well, you know, you try to dazzle your guest. You know, even if you have to lie to them. <laughs> well, they were ruffles. Hey, I mean, you want they weren't some, lays or something. Here's some crumpets. Helming. <laughs> that doesn't work in real life, unfortunately. Oh. Hey, look at this. Because it's such a special episode, we had another synopsis come in. This is uh, the, uh, you folks may remember him back in the 80s, uh, Mr. Emo Phillips. This is Emo Phillips. And I'm here to tell you about Nightbreed. Tell you about a late 70s skin flick about a medieval tale of the life and times of the patron saint feel good. He was known for his well, we'll just say stature, which caused an explosion of noble asexual knights who were known for their fighting but know how to love even harder. Ron Jeremy stars as Saint Feelgood. Oh, would you look at that! With an all-star cast and Melissa Gilbert. 
And who can forget the theme song sung by Glenn Campbell and Olivia Newton-John. It's all I cared about when I was a young knight. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Emo Phillips. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Emo. <laughs> okay, he was kinda... let's cut the crap. Rick, what? I'm going to flip the script on you because this is Nightbreed. What? <laughs> What's the first reason to watch Nightbreed? First reason to watch Nightbreed to me? And I'm uh, just because to of... To you. To me. The first thing that hits me when I watch it... Man, the opening credits... I love the opening credits of this thing because you see a bunch of stuff in the letters when they go by on the screen and you're seeing things that ain't even really in the movie. It's just like, what the, What was that? What, what is that thing? And you're just seeing these monsters and stuff and you know faces are being stretched and it's very, very nightmarish, horrific looking things going on in, this, in these letters that are going by. To me, it just looked so epic when it started off that it just floored me the first time I saw it. And, in my mind, that's when I hear the word Nightbreed, I just start seeing those letters come across the screen and those images that are in those letters. I, I right. just think it's awesome. And not to forget, you know, that while they're playing that on the screen, it's also uh, it's also Danny Elfman music. You know, Danny Elfman was huge in, in this time. And so, you know, you got, you got some Danny Elfman music. You got some monsters and running around in letters like it's some kind of a primer. Yeah, my first reason to watch Nightbreed has, has got to be, as, as much as it might fly in the face of what the movie was really trying to get at, it's, it's David Cronenberg. Sure. As Dr. Philip Decker. Right. I mean, this this guy is the worst kind of villain. I mean, he, he is self-congratulatory. He's driven to just, just hurt the innocent. He's so calculating. From beginning to end, uh, Decker is a really scary character even when he's on the back foot even when he's getting beat you still kind of i'm not certain not sure that he's uh he's not just gonna pop out from around the corner and that's something i said i said uh mike myers would be proud not not saturday night live mike myers but michael myers because he's got the same one moment he's here one moment he's not he, he you know you, you catch him in the scenes where the camera's just panning by and you just see him in the background very very calculated to me, the scariest mask ever of a killer. And if you, like I said, you people that have seen this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, it looks like a very tight toe sack around his head with buttons for eyes and like a zipper for a mouth. And it's like the Myers mask. It's expressionless. It's horrifying. But those black eyes that are actually buttons just stare at you. And it's just so scary. The other side of him, too, being the brilliant person that he is, being the psychologist. You know, what a scary combination. But Yeah, because he's, he's a manic killer. You know, he's, he's driven to just, just kill people he feels are unworthy. But he also justifies it because he's a, you know, he's a psychologist. Yeah. It's a, it's a scary combination. He wears chainmail gloves, which, you know, you know they, they're, like, they're like butcher gloves. So, you know, they're, they're, on the one hand, it might mean that he doesn't, you know, he can deflect blades, but also he uses them to punch people. He's just a weird killer, man. I didn't say Decker first because I knew that's where you were going to go. Because I knew every time we yeah. talk about this, it's always about Decker. Because the strange thing about this movie is when Clive Barker was putting it together, I, I you know, got to reading about it a bit. And he was wanting to make a Star Wars-style saga out of this story. 
multiple movies, taking it different directions. And it wasn't even going to be a straight-up horror movie. It was going to be more of a, you know, a dark fairy tale, but with a grandiose, you know, style of storytelling. You know, when he, he got the green light to start making this thing, and he made the movie that he wanted, and the the movie company didn't like it. They didn't get it. They wanted a slasher flick, so they started cutting it all to pieces and made a slasher flick out of it to an extent. I think you still get the story out of it that you and I have always loved about it. It was the fact of it's a monster movie from a monster's point of view that teaches us over and over again, which several of these movies we talk about is we are the real monsters. The scariest monster in the story is the one who has no connection to the Nightbreed. He kills kids, man. Oh, yeah. The, the very first place where you see him, he he kills a family, and he, he ends it by killing a kid. And they don't do it on screen, but it's obvious that's what happens. Right. He's, he's a very frightening nightmare, and I'll put him up against any of the uh, scary slashers from the movies of this era or otherwise. Absolutely. That's the way I feel about it, too. Yeah. What you get with Clive Barker is you get a uh, kind of a thick tapestry. He doesn't just tell you a story. He makes sure to, you know, kind of like H.P. Lovecraft, uh, he wants to, to develop uh, not just a story, but a mythology along with it. Right. Wants to take and you, you definitely get that with yeah, all these. Yeah, take you to another world and, and just give you an experience. And, I, and when I think of Clyde Barker, that's what I think of, because it's, it's never necessarily, you know, like people think of Pinhead or whatever, but to me it's always about the surroundings. I think about, you know, when the Cenobites come to our time or whatever and, and the way that all looks. It's not just them appearing and being in, you know, slick rubber suits or whatever. It's it's the, the atmosphere. And that's another great thing about Nightbreed is with Midian, you get this abandoned civilization look. You know, it's been totally abandoned and they're being forced to live here because they can't be accepted anywhere else. I, I love that. The abandoned, isolated area that, when it comes down to it, Decker's trying his best to find this place. And, and you, the motive is two different things. You don't know if he's there to like completely destroy them, or if he wants to be there and rule them. Well, you know, I think he says as much, though, that, you know, when he's going to destroy them. Like, he doesn't really feel a kinship to them. He feels like it's his job to free the world of... Filth making filth making filth. You know the, the the families that he's killing. You know he just he feels like he's so above them. He refers to himself as death. And Clive Barker uh, was was quoted as saying that the real monsters they were Canadian bar patrons who can't keep rhythm with the band on stage. They're <laughs> clapping all over the place, man. It's like oh yeah, clap 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 clap. What's up with that, man? They, they can't just follow a beat. It's not just Canadians, though, man. It, it happens around here too. <laughs> and I think I think I'm going to say one more thing about you know to illustrate that point, and then we can go on to the next reason to watch yeah. Nightbreed. But the last thing I'm going to say, in case it doesn't come up later, I definitely want to mention it. Uh, there's a scene where Decker has killed a whole room full of people, and they happen across it. One of the people was making a, uh, a house of cards. Yeah. And the house of cards is still intact until they shut the door and the wind blows it over. So right. he killed an entire room of people without knocking over a house of cards. Right. I, it's, it's something that if you don't, if you blink, you'll miss it. Right. But it's definitely there. Well, my next reason to watch the movie Nightbreed is uh, Laurie Winston. Boone, the main character, has this this girlfriend who's just a really soft-spoken yet 
loud singing who's just absolutely 100% in love with him and uh, and she follows him you know through the gates of death to try and bring love back and she's you know every bit the uh, I guess the late 80s early 90s uh, you know vision of beauty there but she's worth watching the movie for you know she does a great job being that uh, that love interest and also you know a, a pretty daring kind of uh, heroine there I mean, next to her, you got you know Shunasazi, the, the porcupine lady. She's pretty good too. <laughs> yeah, Shunasazi <laughs> is pretty awesome, man. So, and that's that's the next thing on my list. Why do you watch this movie? Monsters, 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 man! You got a variety here. If you can't find one you like or scared of, you know they kind of yeah. put something in there for everybody. It's got everything to Ray with a big old gaping mouth that floats down at you to uh, flee from the red hot chili peppers with a dog. <laughs> Oh, my sound effects ain't working. Hold on. Damn <laughs> It's Fleet, man. <laughs> uh, I never thought uh, of that. That's good. <laughs> I don't know. The, the guy that I'm referring to is Fleet. He's, he's a character in the movie. He's, he's a really nice guy, though. He, he helps out, you know, our main characters. A nice, a nice guy if you chop off rat's heads and wear them as necklaces. I thought they were like, uh, they were like clamshells or... No, man, it's it's animal heads of some sort. Nice. I like that guy better now. He's got a dog. Yeah, maybe the dog. He didn't eat the dog yet. Yeah. Maybe he's the next head for the skeleton, maybe <laughs> for the necklace. He, he has pets until they die, and then he puts their heads on a necklace. I will say the next reason I've got, Narcissus. Yeah, so on the way, just a quick synopsis. Our main character, Boone, is having nightmares. He's seeing a psychologist for him. He thinks he's about kicked it because the nightmares aren't that bad anymore. He still has them. They don't bother him. Uh, he's about to cut it off with his uh, his psychologist. And his psychologist says, you know what? While you were in deep hypnosis, you told me about killing all these people. And here are pictures of them. And I'm going to have to turn you in. Yeah. Well, you know, turns out. So then everybody just kind of try and pin it on his his uh, patient. You know, he gives him some uh, LSD and tries to get him to go run out in front of a bus. That doesn't work. <laughs> he ends up, you know, like like uh, in a hospital. He meets Narcissus, who's my next reason, who says, you know, he's he's uh, he's preaching out the window. He's saying, you know, I want to go to Midian, and Boone knows about Midian because that's kind of the where his psychosis has taken him. He's been doing a little research into a local mythology and. And uh, he gets in to talk about it with him, and, and Narcissus just lays it down. He's like, oh, oh, you're here as a test. Well, let me show you my true face. And he just cuts his head off, man. He cuts the skin off his head <laughs> yeah, with his little these, thumb blades. little thumb blades, yeah. I mean, like little razor blades that are sticking up that he just puts on his thumbs. It's like something Ozzy Osbourne would wear on stage. And he starts just cutting his face and just ripping, like scalping himself grabbing his skin and just pulling it back and, and I love the scene because the doctors come rushing in because everybody's freaking out and he's standing there and he's got like a big chunk of his scalp in his hand and he's just going aah, aah. freaky stuff man <laughs> freaky stuff even though you know that might make him sound like he's just Looney Tunes he's a great character he's fantastic he's <laughs> actually to me who you take the trip with when it's all said and done oh really yeah I, That's I an interesting take. I, so, I associate more with him than I do anybody else in the movie because, and I think that's the magic of this movie too, is I think people can relate to different characters and that's who they feel like the movie was about. Of course it's about Boone, but to me, with, with Narcissus, because of the fact of 
He knew about it. He was trying to get there. He went through the process to make himself worthy to get there. And it shows you the lightheartedness of just because you think somebody's crazy or whatever. I mean, he's hilarious through the whole thing. Right. And he's so happy as opposed to when you first meet him, he's miserable because he belongs there. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 to me, you just take that trip with him because, you know, you're horrified when he does this to himself and you think, well, man, this guy's a wacko. But when you see him on the other side and the person he becomes, man, you know, he's he's the true blue friend that you want to have in your life. Well, well, yeah, he he definitely does uh, stand in the gap and, uh, and, and fight for Boone. Even though Boone, you know, makes a lot of selfish decisions through the movie. Right. Uh, that's a good point about Narcissus. I, I like that a lot. Cool. So what's your next reason? What's your next reason? Uh, you know, we we're talking about the, the flea, you know, running around while I go. The next reason <laughs> right, I right. had was the scene where he gets caught outside when they finally discover where Midian is. And the cops come in and, and they drag him out, out into the sunlight, which, you know, you again, you got your... 57 varieties of, of monsters here. Some can handle sunlight, some cannot. So they find Anaka, which is his name, the guy that looks like Flea, and grab him and pull him out in the sunlight, and he just starts burning. And man, yeah, that's and it looks really good. Yeah, the effects on that. that that's the other thing about this movie, and, and I don't really have it on my list. The effects are, for 1990, I'd say 60% of the effects in this movie are fantastic. I'd say the other 40 are pretty cheaper, you know. And I can imagine right. trying to throw this this scale of makeup effects into one movie and all the different characters, you know, mind you again, no no CGI, anything like that. It's all practical, every bit of it. And you know, some things look absolutely incredible. Some things kind of hurt it now. But it's still the fact of them working with what they had. You can say the same thing about his other work if you look at some of the stuff that's in Hellraiser and stuff. There's some things you kind of overlook because they're dated because of the you know just the the way that you had to pull it off. And uh, but man, the stuff that looks great in this is unbelievable. With that being said, I mean, like I said, the burning up of Onaka to me is just it's as great as any scene of a vampire being burned up outside, you know, turning to ash. Uh, and it's painful. You know, you don't Yeah, it's a it's a tear jerk too. Yeah, you don't like want because, this to happen because he's not a bad person. He, if anything, he's the meekest person there. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we run into the the whole, you know, the humans are the oppressors and the monsters are the oppressed in this right. movie, which is what the production company didn't get. But I'm going to have to say that my next reason, we can talk about this for a long time. This movie is actually a lot deeper than a lot of the movies that we cover. Right. But if you're just watching this movie, you're like, what are Rick and Danny talking about? Some mythology. And there's a lot of stuff that we're not going to get into. Right. I'm going to say watch this movie for Captain Panaka. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you might remember, because in this movie, there's a detective Joyce, and uh, he's played by a guy named Hugh Quarshie, right? I was like, where have I seen that guy before? Man, <laughs> he was a... Captain Panaka in Star Wars Episode One. Yeah. And B, he was Castagir in Highlander. How about that? And I was like, oh, 
you know, and and I love both of those characters. I, I love this guy, and uh, he's right there in the middle of it. He plays a detective who's kind of he's kind of a good guy, right. but he's trying to get to the bottom of it. You know, he's you have some law enforcement in this that are a straight up tentative of the evil society. Right, and then you've got you know you've got this guy who's really just trying to get to the bottom of it. He knows people are getting killed. He knows there's some bad stuff going on. He's trying to bring somebody to justice, yeah. and ultimately he pays for it because he trusts the wrong guy. Right. Uh, next reason I got is the whole jailbreak scene, man. When they got Boone locked up and <laughs> Narcissus and all them yeah. in there, you get uh, and I'm, again. There are so many characters in this movie and I'm, I'm trying to think of the the shapeshifter's name her name is rachel rachel hey how about that? <laughs> her, her, her name is rachel her daughter's name is babette uh, babette i knew yeah. babette but I, I couldn't remember rachel's name but the fact that she comes through that door like through the you know just disintegrates yeah. and turns into a mist and goes through the door and then she appears and of course she's naked as all get out comes out kisses the dude and smoke comes out of his mouth and he falls on the ground that's awesome. What a great little effect that is, too. You know, he, right. you know, he, he's he's enticed in by her, and, and he kisses her, and then, right. like, he just falls to the ground, and there's just a little, like, dry ice right. mist coming out of his lips. And, and, you know, you can just, you're just left to imagine why the guy's dead. Right. You yeah. know, you're just left to imagine what happened there. And it's it's a simple effect, but it's really well done. Yep, and it's, because it's got all um, the, the vampire folklore involved with that, too, because of her being, you know, entrancing, coming through, through, through the mist, and then, you know, almost the life force thing of kissing him and either pulling his soul out or whatever happens because of the smoke that comes out of his mouth. And then you got Narciss over there just looking at her like, hey, what's up, baby? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and he he does that with everybody. Yeah, yeah, he does that with uh, with with your guy that got um, burned up by the sun. Slurs. Did I, <laughs> did I mention how cool Narcissus is? I mean, here's a dude who's ripped his scalp off, off the sides of his head, off the top of his head, and he goes around with a mullet hanging out the back with a cowboy hat on <laughs> and shades. Oh yeah. So when you get to Midian and you know this monster culture, there's there's a whole religious tenet. They have their savior in Baphomet, who right. uh, you know, who kind of lays down the laws by which they live, so that they won't all die out. And you know, some of these laws are flawed. And can I mention how cool it, Baphomet is, man? Oh yeah, yeah. How cool is that? I mean, uh, it's almost kind of Greek mythology-looking statue there. Part of it's just black, but it's in the sculpt- sculpture of like a, a human form. But the legs and stuff have been like almost like crystallized or something. You can kind of see through them. Um, yeah. And then, but then the head expands out. It, it reminds me a lot of darkness from Legend, as far as the look. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, but you and that's why I had to mention it. Pulses of electricity that are pulsing through him as he's standing there. Whenever he's reacting. So you know he's kind of, he's kind of like the mainframe in Tron. <laughs> <laughs> just to put this in the framework of our show a reason to watch the movie is uh, that uh, I'm going to call it the initiation of Boone oh, because yeah. you know we haven't talked a whole lot about Boone you know other than the plot so far he finds his way to Midian you know at first they say hey you haven't killed people you know they, they tell him that his psychologist lied to him he gets killed 
uh, you know, he gets betrayed by the psychologist and, and shot to death on the on the outskirts of Midian. It sounds Come, like it sounds like this actually. I believe you. He's got a gun. Yeah, uh, I believe you. Yeah, so so he comes back from the dead and returns to Midian, and then he gets the initiation from uh, Lylesburg is yeah. the name of the uh, Dirk, uh, the priest Dirk Lylesburg, who is played by Dirk Lylesburg. Yeah, Dirk, Dirk Lylesburg. I guess uh, <laughs> when I first saw that, I thought, man, how lame of a name. But I guess if the other girl can be named Rachel, hey, why not? Hey, Rachel, I bet, and Dirk Lylesburg. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> and you know who that is, right? You know who played Dirk? Uh, I, I was, uh, no. <laughs> Anthony Kiedis, the other guy from, <laughs> from Red Out Chili Peppers. Tell me. <laughs> but I got, to, got to give it to your mama. No, that's actually Doug Bradley, man. That's Pinhead. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's uh, why he was such a jerk. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I, I never knew that back in the day. I think, uh... The first convention that I went to where he was there, and he had, of course, all the pictures laying out. And, Chris, you're thinking, pinhead, pinhead, pinhead. And I saw that picture, and I was like, you were that guy from Nightbreed? You're Dirk? (laughs) He's like, yeah. And the thing is, is they overdubbed his voice, so when you hear him in the movie, it's not him talking. Then that's that's a big problem that Clive Barker had with the movie company taking the movie and just making it their own is they actually overdubbed all of his talking but yeah man oh, yeah. I didn't know that and did, you, did you know that the, those slits that are in his face are all eyeballs they're all eyeballs because when he dies yeah the, uh, the eyes open up yeah I mean that's there's so much stuff in this movie folks we will never never be able to cover everything in this unless we just did like a three hour episode which we're not gonna do no no I mean we, we it just doesn't belong here I, I'm gonna say that another reason to watch this you know since we've just gotten off the whole uh, baptism to the Midian monsters man Dirk Lysberg go ahead easily as important as Cheryl Ann the barfly She's got some weird lines, man. She's yeah. got some weird lines. There's some she weird might have pushed my top five lines movie, to like a top eight lines. But, <laughs> you know, she, she shows up and she tells uh, Lori, you know, oh, well, you know, so it's always about what, love or money. Yeah. She just goes through, you know, and she gives all the, the barroom philosophy. Right. It's, and she's great. I'm just going to give one of her lines right here before top five lines, even though it probably belongs there. She says... You go and do what you got to do. I'll stay here and do something else. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a lot of lines like that where it's like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> All right. My other reason. I just got crazy and break. Yes. So <laughs> after they get through the jailbreak and they finally get Boone and the girl together, there's that weird scene where they're like kissing, but he's like starting to like lick on her and stuff. It's just like, hey guys, and of course, uh, Narciss even says, "Did you guys get a room or something like that?" Right? Or no hanky panky? Or I, I think it does say get a room. I, it, yeah, I, I agree. It's like Clive really wanted to emphasize that the two of them had a very physical relationship because yeah. the way that they've been directed, you know, when they're together, they're very, very affectionate. And of course, it's Clive Barker, so there's always that sexuality thing to it anyways. True. That's, that's what makes a style. I mean, it's just like Rob Halford coming out in leather outfit. I mean, you don't think about it. You think, man, it looks metal. But really, it's, you know, more sexu- sexually driven than you think. Same thing with Clive Barker. 
Everything about it has a weird, horrific look, but also a sexuality thing to it, too. Wait, are, it? are you saying that Clyde Barker and Rob Halford were... Friends, sure, yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. buddies. Both musicians? Both musicians. Clyde Barker, you know, used to do the wardrobe for, for Rob Halford, so y'all can look that up. That's... Hell me. It's in there. <laughs> All right, my next and, and reason. Rob, Rob Halford was the chatterbox. <laughs> Rob Halford was chatterbox. <laughs> It's true. Go ahead. What's your next reason? Hit it. <laughs> That's all I got. Oh, hey man. Next reason: Berserkers. My love for you is ticking clock, Berserker. Yeah, that's about all we can sing of that one. <laughs> yep. That's yeah, right. man. When they let the Berserkers loose, it's kind of like release the Kraken in Clash of Titans, man. You know it's on when the when the Berserkers come out. So, so just to, to get everybody up, like I said, there's a lot of movie here, especially if you're talking the director's cut. Yeah, so you've got, on one hand, you've got the Sheriff of Sheerneck, who's over there. Um, his name is... Peebo Bryson? Yeah. His name is Captain Igerman. Anyway, and, and he has a militia called the Sons of the Free. <laughs> um, and they go up to Midian, you know, they, they rally the troops and they get, you know, an arsenal of, of army weapons. And, you know, they, they're attacking Midian, they're shooting kids and and they're they're getting fought off a little bit. But for the most part, they're just laying waste. Yeah. And Boone says, you know, we got to let the berserkers out. That's right. So they let these football player monsters that have been in a big uh, stone prison under the whole thing out. Those dudes just, you know. Man, they're flipping cars over, just grabbing them, flipping things up, just grabbing people, chunking them. Very, very cool. And like I said, it's it's almost the equivalent of release the Kraken, man. You turn these things loose, they just lay waste, man. They kind of look like half-size raw head Rexes. Right. I kind of thought that, and I always thought uh, about the uh, the crazies or whatever they that were in uh, Beastmaster. So, yeah, the, they were the witch. The witch. <laughs> He's under the temple. <laughs> He's in Australia. They're kind of a combination of all those things to me. No, that, that's a that's a good one. So here's the reason I've got to watch it, and we're going to go back in a little bit for it, and uh, I'll see if maybe this this brings up. So there's a scene where there's a mini recorder, yeah, and uh, you know that he's been recording his sessions with Boone, and he's like, so so Boone, you know, what happens when you get to Midi? And he's like, oh, well, all my sins are forgiven, and he's like, and and uh, death can't even stop me in Midi, and he's like. Death is the end, Boone. He's like, oh, not in Midian. Right. And he, he gets mad and he throws the recorder against the wall. Right. I, I, I've seen this before. And it's a great scene all in its own because as they're panning up the table toward Decker, he's got all these knives right. laid out on the table in front of him. And uh, I rewatched, it was one of the early teaser uh, commercials for Twin Peaks huh? where they're panning up this long mahogany table and uh, Agent Cooper's uh, recorder is playing. And it's uh, playing his observations of Twin Peaks, and you know it just pans up, and much in like like in a giallo, as it gets up to the tape recorder, uh, right. a leather gloved hand just pushes stop. And you know I watched them, and they're not all that similar, or really. Like you know in my memory, I was kind of going frame for frame, saying I think this is the same thing, but I watched them both, and they're not. Yeah. But it has the same feel. It's a great scene. It's panning up. There's some disturbing images behind Decker. Right. Uh, he's got knives on the table in front of him. He's listening to Boone, and he loses his cool and he throws that that recorder against the wall. Right. And it keeps playing. You know, it's just like. But he, he's still like, you know, many recorders take a lick and keep on playing. 
<laughs> and the thing that's so powerful about that scene too is because this is all meant to be. You know, the fact that uh, Pelican, which is somebody we haven't even talked about yet, oh. one of the coolest characters, one of the coolest monsters, period, ever in a movie is Pelican in this movie, and he uh, has this quote whenever he smells the blood of a of innocent. He starts changing, and I mean, scary as it is, you know, he kind of looks like a, if, if a squid became a Rasta man. <laughs> yeah, and then put on, uh, you know, Captain Jack Sparrow's shirt. Right, right. So he's, he's yeah. very stylish, you know, but uh, when he smells the blood of the innocent, he starts transforming into this beast, and you are, you are meat. You're meat for the beast. And uh, he bites Boone, and this is where the prophecy all comes from. So... All this had happened, and then when Decker has Boone killed, Decker sets everything in motion for the prophecy to really come true. The bite was a part of it, but him being killed and brought back is what really set everything in the motion. So yeah, because the bite is what what brings him back to Midian. Yeah, right. yeah. So I mean, there's all this hanging on what Decker does causes the rest of the movie so that's why he's so upset and he throws the the tape deck because the opportunity he was looking for he messed up i absolutely agree and and it's one of the things that we're not going to get into here is his all the the <laughs> little threads so much story man and that's what makes it so awesome this is not a typical monster movie it's not a typical slasher movie it's got tons and tons of backstory tons and tons of creatures that you'll never get enough backstory for some of the creatures are absolutely fun. The dude that's got the two snake things that come out of his belly looks like something out of a Tim Burton movie. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm gonna, and I've got to say right here, here's something I dug up when I was when I was reading about this movie. You know that, uh, so there's a flashback scene where they're kind of showing the Nightbreed through the ages because Babette can kind of show people the history of the Nightbreed. Right. right. Oh, and uh, right in this flashback of you know just just the perils that they've been through and the and the horrors, and uh, there are these there are these streamers that are that are they're like streaming through the the scene because it's kind of like a stage thing. Right. It turns out streamers were all the footage that the production company cut out of the original version, and they just kind of like threw it in there as streamers. Hail me. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know where you were going with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You know, like like we've been saying this whole time, the story is greater than the sum of its parts. When right. when you get to watching this, right. you're not you're going to see some of the things we talk about, but ultimately just pay attention to the movie because it is it is a really well done piece yeah. of mythology. And I had a, a short discussion with with uh, with my wife about it after we watched it. That it could be, you know, it, if it was missing the gore, you know, it could be a young adult novel. Sure. You know, it's, it's a lot fitting in someplace. You know, the monsters have their society and, and these people are outcasts and, and they have enemies that are coming after them. And they, they get souls there and they make friends there. And and um, it's very much a young adult yep. kind of yep. thing. But then you add Clive Barkerism to it and it's uh, it's definitely not going to appeal to them. It's like taking the the outsiders and <laughs> making a monster version of it. Hail Mings. Stay gold, Pelican. <laughs> and, you know, we got to mention the Mac tonight, the Mac tonight guy, because, you it's know, Pelican, they, they show up, uh, you know, and they find Boone, and Boone's like, I belong here, and they're like, nah, you haven't been killing people. And, you know, yeah, Mac tonight's so, got him. So that's that thing, man. You, you know? got you got Pelican, who is one of the coolest looking monsters ever. Then you got Kinski, which is this moon-headed shaped guy like Mac tonight. It doesn't look as good as Pelican. Let's just leave it there. 
He's kind of lame looking. It's like, a weird yeah. choice. <laughs> so that's what I mean. That's that's the hard part with this movie is some things look incredible and some things you're like, mm, maybe you tried to put too many monsters in the movie and you couldn't really, you know, make it all work. I don't know. You get the uh, you know the one with the devil horns. It's like all black, but he's wearing like a satin, you know, jacket with a tiger on the back or whatever. <laughs> you know. You just got some weird combinations of things, and again, that's what that's what makes it unique. I think they're going for kind of a gypsies, you know, like they're from all places right. and in yeah. all times, the or, or the like the, uh, thing, the yeah. maybe the vampires in a in in once bitten, you know, how they're all from from different time periods. But I've got two scenes that just kind of want to lump together and point out, you know, again, things to watch for. There's a scene where Lori is in Midian. And Rachel's child Babette has has come out yep. into the sun, yep. and she's become this. this you know, the, the sun has hurt her, so she's become this little skinless goat thing, and uh, and it's kind of creepy. And the whole scene reeks of a trap. Lori goes over and picks her up, and she's like, "Well, c- bring her to me." And she won't come out to her. She's in this alcove. She doesn't say why she doesn't come out. And when she comes closer to her, Rachel even recedes further down, like you know, follow me. Yep. I mean, there's just everything in you should be saying don't go in there you know it's a trap except you've been kind of shown that they're not dangerous admiral akbar sitting over on the side going it's a trap he's he's right there man he's in his little swivel chair yeah it won't last long against rachel (laughs) (laughs) have you seen Um, have you seen the director's cut yes i watched it for this um and i was i'm definitely familiar with the with the cut version too I, i like them both a lot well which one do you like better um you know, it's 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 tough to say um, because I, I I know the other one so much better. Right. The director's cut really doesn't detract from it. I think it's just more. I think they they might have done a pretty decent job of cutting it down. You know really. what? I, I'm I mean I'm glad that I get to see all this extra footage, but I love the original cut better because if they were going to continue it on and have sequels that follow yeah. up, then it probably makes sense for the movie to be like it was with the director's cut. But being a one-time, one-time hit movie, man. And we even talked about the ending yet, man. Well, and, and you know, let me just say this. I, I think that the fact that neither one of us has mentioned the tabernacle as a reason to watch the movie yeah. is probably a reason why we're both okay with the cut scene because, you know, a lot of the things that were cut are... You know, the tabernacle is kind of the, the deep dark of the Midian, and right. and there are monsters around every corner, and people hissing at you, and people dancing with skeletons, and right. and it's it's just kind of more stuff that you don't need. And it's cool that Clive Barker got to do all that, but it, it just isn't necessary for the story. And you know, you get some creatures that look like something to come out of some Hammer horror stuff. You know, some some not as well done characters they look kind of cool but you can tell it was just kind of yeah we'll just take some putty and you know stick that on your face and you'll have snake eyes or you know so that's what i mean those those things kind of hurt it but man how can you not appreciate the way this thing ends man Uh, oh yeah it's got to be one of the coolest endings this is the regular cut this is not director cut but the ending of this thing man how do you not make a sequel to that Oh, yeah. the, so the the ending, you know, just all, all around. The sons of the free show up. They have all their guns. They they set bombs. They they set the place on fire. They they shoot everybody. They they put mines everywhere. Um, they're trying to cut off anybody from escaping, and uh, and, and it becomes this this uh, this hard fought between the monsters cut loose and 
these people who are, you know, aggressors and genocidal uh, militiamen. Of course, you know, Boone ends up fighting Decker. Yeah. It's a really weird, like, uh, he gets stabbed through his own body. And he grabs Decker and he stabs him with his own knife. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he says, and then he says, uh, "One last dance." Well, you know, and I just, uh, I don't get it because there's really no you, reason was for there that. A first, was there a first dance? That was one of the scenes they cut yeah. out where they're at the discotheque together. They're hanging out. <laughs> All the cut footage is is, is flopping over them. In the- and that's you know that's where they start building the first house of cards and that's a symbolism that they were buddies and that when he right, when right. Decker goes to kill those guys and he leaves the, the, the card house and then you gotta remember there's the card that gets stuck on Boone when the knife goes through him so it's all tied right, right. in there He's like, we're, we're, making, we're making every bit of this up and a poker <laughs> full house bitch you know, that kind of thing <laughs> at the end of all this you know you got Reverend Ashbury yeah them as the holy man and he says, you know, this is wrong. You're killing children. And Captain Eigerman is like, you know, you're a, you're a dip. You know, I'm going to kick your butt. And he throws him down. Um, at the end, they get to, to where Baphomet is. Baphomet tells Boone, you know, you're going to have to take my people and start over. And you're no longer Boone. You're Cabal. You're Cabal. And that's the start of the legend of Cabal. But at the same time, that, that bowl over there, of, it's the same bowl they used in Kroll that they stick their hand down in, they pull the flame out of. Yeah, the fire comes out of it. Yeah, and dude gets his... Fire of eternal love. It gets spilt on the, the preacher dude, and it, like, burns his hair off and stuff, and makes it look like... Uh, just like, like in uh, April Fool's Day. Just like April Fool's Day, man without a face. <laughs> but he takes that bowl out, and Decker's been killed. He's got him propped up, and he's the, the, the priest puts his hand down in the stuff that burnt him up, and he... Puts it inside the hole that's in Decker, where he's been stabbed, and then Decker comes back alive, and he's screaming, and he's reaching for the camera, and the dude's down there saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. Man, it's just... Hallelujah! Man, what a scene. What a scene. Like you said, that is... That is not in the director's cut. Um, in yeah. the director's cut, it's a it's a little more ambiguous, you know, as far as where Ashbury falls. And uh, you know, he in, in the director's cut... Um, Eigerman, you know, shows up and he's saying, you know, Ashbury, uh, help me, you know, I'll join right. you or whatever. And Ashbury just takes him out. Right. Um, Ashbury, you know, one of the things that I always thought was interesting was it's just a bowl that's over there by uh, Baphomet. And Ashbury knows to put his hand in it. Yeah. It's like, you know, somewhere in there, he, he belongs there. He, he knows that the place of the, the holy, you know, uh, leader here is to put their hand in it and to, and just like um, Lylesburg did. And it's just something I always noticed about that, that, you know, there, there's some kind of backstory. Ashbury belongs there, too. And it might be why he's a little more complicated a character. Again, this movie's way deeper than you think it is. If you go into it just looking for a good monster movie, I think you're going to get it. I think you'll enjoy the characters if you haven't seen it. The people that have seen this, I've never met anybody that has seen it that didn't like it. I'm sure there's people out yeah. there, but everybody I know has a positive opinion of you know what it, what he was trying to come across with with making this movie. But if you're looking for gore and some excitement, it's got it. If you're looking for some depth and a story, you've got it. It, it just kind of is in between everything, so... So out of that, we're going to go straight into, because we can't fight it anymore, let's go straight into... Top five lines! lines. Top five lines! Top five lines! Yay! (laughs) That's right. I've been waiting for this, because I've got so many top five lines. (laughs) I might have top five, top five lines. All right. My first 
line is from Narcissus in the hospital, and Boone walks up to him. Boone says, what did you say? And Narcissus says, I said shut up. He has several lines right there that pretty pretty much stand out. My first line is... Yeah, but that, is that's that, what I said shut up. <laughs> my, <laughs> my first line is the right opposite. It's when uh, this is after everything's already happened, and Narcissus is walking with Boone, and he keeps like punching him in the shoulder. And, and Boone says, if you hit me again, I'm going to rip your face off. <laughs> And then he points at his face like uh, <laughs> like Igor in, uh, in, in Young Frankenstein. Too late. <laughs> Too late. No, I mean, it's just uh, he actually says that. And I was like, wow, I guess I've never heard that before. It's actually in there. My, my next line is another short one. It's Shunasazi when, uh, when he's doing his, uh, his initiation to the breed. And, and Shunasazi looks at Pelican and says, I dreamt him. Right. It's a, it's a short line, but I love it. And Boone even kind of says the same thing, too, because he saw her in, in that dream sequence at yeah. the beginning of the movie, too. So that's a, that's a cool thing. My next one is uh, the scene we were talking about when they go back to the to the motel to to find, you know, Decker. You know, they're, they're chasing him down or whatever. And <laughs> Boone goes in there, and he's got his girlfriend or whatever at the time with him. <laughs> and they go in there, and he says, why is it so empty in here? And she says, must be the rodeo. <laughs> I couldn't help but bust out laughing. Well, there's nobody here because there's a big rodeo in town. Well, that makes perfect sense. Right. <laughs> the best line from the whole movie is uh, Peliquin, who says, It's all true. Yeah. God is an astronaut. Oz is over the rainbow. And Midian is where the monsters live. Great line. Yep. And the other, my, my last line that I've got is, is another great Peliquin line where he says to Boone, he goes, You going to eat those Triscuits? Oh! <laughs> Hail Ming. I knew that was coming. I got this long one from Decker here. He says, See, I've killed a lot of breeders. Families like cesspools. Filth making filth making filth. And I did it over and over and over again. And it was leading me here. I was born to kill Boone and the breed. There you go. Decker, I mean, yeah, Decker in the guy's nutshell. crazy, y'all. So that's it for... So, yeah, some fantastic lines in this. Movie ties in very well. But it's also going to lead us up into the next part that we have to go into, which is... Rating time, time, time. I don't know who that guy is, but he's got an awesome voice. Yeah, I've never heard it before. All right, rating time. What do you give it? All right, well, you know, and considering all that Nightbreed is, I'm going to have to give it five hands dipped in magic water that make your skin glow if you belong. All right. Now I'm going to give it 48 rat heads tied around my neck, tied around Flea's neck. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, awesome <laughs> Brian Blessed, what do you think of Nightbreed, the regular cut? But there's no way I can help a man who's dead. Oh, I disagree wow. there. I disagree. I believe you could help him. Just, you know, make sure you bite him first. <laughs> or hit him with your big hooked mace. That's right. So, hey, what did, hey, can, what? I, can I can I change my, my rating? Sure. Okay, so I'm going to give it one son of the free <laughs> who's in charge of all the weapons who looks like a young Egon Spangler. <laughs> True. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Got those glasses. Yeah. All right, folks, we'll be right back after this. Welcome to the latest man. 
How y'all doing? This is Leon Phelps. And I've been asked by my very good, close, and personal friends here at the Hey Man Power Outage. I'm sorry, what? Oh, I'm sorry. That's the Hail Ming Power Hour. That's the name of my close and personal friends. They've asked me to read a synopsis of a movie for you. And you know, the ladies' man does like movies of a more adult nature, otherwise known as pornos. So I'm going to read a synopsis for a movie here. It sounds really good. It's called Nightbreed. Right on, yeah. I can get into this one. It says here, it's a movie about a man named Boone who's got a girlfriend named Lori. Alright. But it seems that Boone is missing something in his life. And the latest man knows what that is, huh? So he goes out looking for it. Yeah. You know, just about every night I go out looking for it too. And he finds it in a place called Midian. And Midian is a place that's full of monsters? What? And he gets shot? And he dies and comes back as a monster? What is this? This ain't like no kind of porno I ever heard of. Hang on, I got, I got a copy of this. Let me put this on real quick here. What the? What the? Oh. Oh, no, that, that ain't right. That ain't right. That, that man looks like a moon. Can somebody tell me why that man looks like a moon? And what is that ragdoll doing there? Oh, oh, no, that is disgusting. Okay, okay, this, this is just disgusting. I, I'm going to fast forward here a bit. Okay, Sammy naked ladies in this Yeah, here we go. Here we go. There's some naked Oh, man, they monsters too. This is just wrong. This is wrong. You know what? Don't, don't watch this movie. This movie is disgusting. Go watch Debbie Does Dallas. That's a much better porno. All aboard! Hello and welcome to the Indian Wildlife Nature Preserve for Nightbreed. Indian, it's where the monsters go. It takes away the pain. Got all kinds of breed. Some are susceptible to sunlight, so they're kept in our, our nighttime only dome well below the ground. Now, lots of them like to hide out under there, but occasionally as you walk through the wildlife preserve in the cemetery, you might view a stray breed or two. Here at Midian Wildlife Nature Preserve for the night breed. Now, you're all right mostly during the day, but you gotta be careful and stick with the group. You go wandering off on your own, you're gonna become meat for the beast. You can just count on that. And now, did you know, with the Crypt Keeper on the Helming Power Hour. Greetings, kitties. It's your old friend, the Crypt Keeper, with Did You Know on the Helming Power Hour. Did you know, 
In the Bible, Midian was the land in which Moses lived for 40 years in self-imposed exile. It was in Midian that God appeared to Moses as the burning bush, telling him to go back to Egypt to free the Israelites. Did you know some of the Nightbreed-inspired merchandise included a 25-issue Nightbreed comic book series, a Nightbreed game for the home computer, and books such as the Nightbreed Chronicles? Did you know my favorite food is a can of cannibal soup? It's mmm-mmm good! Did you know the character played by David Cronenberg is named Dr. Philip K. Decker? A reference to sci-fi author Philip K. Dick. Deckard was the last name of the protagonist in Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which was later adapted as Blade Runner. Did you know in the last scene of the film, the priest revives Decker by sticking his hand into his stomach? It's a tribute to Cronenberg's film Videodrome from 1983. Did you know these Midians are really cool? One looks like Mac tonight, or either Worf from Star Trek, and Jay Leno had a little night breeding of their own, and the other, well, he has deadlocks. <laughs> Did you know 20th Century Fox drastically cut this film at the last minute prior to its theatrical release? omitting most of the more graphic violence and completely deleting rock singer Susie Quattro's role from the final print. Moreover, the movie was misleadingly advertised as just another standard slasher feature. <laughs> You've been listening to Did You Know with the Crypt Keeper on the Hell Ming Power Hour. Did you know these guys learned their crimes can have grave consequences? But don't worry, I'm pretty sure their criminal plans have been laid to rest. Well, see you next time, boys and ghouls. <laughs>
is a way of life. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> All right, folks, we're out of here. We had a fun time. Go check out this movie, man. Check out our other shows. Check out other shows on Legion. Just go out and do something, would you? Yeah, I mean, we're not paying you just to sit around. So That's right. hop to it. That's right. It's time to get off the rump and start doing some business. So if you're not listening to Helming, at least listen to somebody else on the Legion podcast. Yeah, or, or listen to uh, Large Marge sent us. Yeah, yeah Large that's Marge That's a fun sent podcast. Us. We discovered a new show, some new friends. Large Marge sent us, and a lot of nostalgia there as well. So pretty fun show. For this episode, I'm Rick. And I'm Danny. And we'll see you next time. Booyah! Members of the audience will receive the following Classic Curves by Bittos The Pants for Feel Good Company A gift certificate from Maru-Chan Ramen Noodles Rice-A-Roni all guests receive a copy of the El Ming Home Game. Thanks to the creative minds and special appearances of Mark Allison, Jeremy Finch, and Jacob Kennedy. El Ming is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. Check out all the great shows at legionpodcast.com. El Ming is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Legion Podcast. This is Dan Pardo saying good night.